So there was a, a big article in the Washington Post about this. And this article uh, has been picked up by other news outlets. Um, the Griot.com, the Root.com, Black America Web. But they did a segment of this, I called uh, Charles Blow's show on the Black News Channel uh, last night. They did a segment of this, uh, they discussed this on the Black News Channel, so I'm going to share that uh, interview with you. He, he spoke with uh, Tiffany English. And uh, Tiffany English is with the Southern Poverty Law Center. Okay? Um, and they discussed these lynchings. And we know throughout history, Mississippi had the most number of lynchings uh, as well. Okay? Uh, Tiffany English is the director of the Civil Rights Memorial Center at the Southern Poverty Law Center. So we'll, we'll discuss that. Um, and then also, today was day two in the, of jury selection in the R. Kelly trial. Day two of jury selection in the R. Kelly trial. Um, legal analyst Candace, Candace Kelly was on uh, the Black News Channel today. And we're sometimes on Roland Martin and Filter together. And she was breaking down uh, the case and talking about uh, jury selection, okay, in the R. Kelly trial. So we'll discuss that as well. All right, now, and it was uh, a couple other stories, but we'll get to those tomorrow. A couple stories dealing with uh, uh, coronavirus and uh, Texas and uh, Florida. We'll talk some more about that on uh, tomorrow's show. All right, now on the African History Network show, we focus on educating and empowering and inspiring people of African descent throughout the diaspora and around the world because right now it's correct your own behavior, what you do for yourself, what you do to yourself, and what you allow other people to do to you and get away with is based upon what you think about yourself. What you think about yourself is based upon what you have been taught about yourself. What you've been taught about yourself is based upon everything you've read, heard, and seen about yourself. So when you control the radius of a man or a woman's thoughts, you control the compass of his or her actions because the mind can't do or teach what it doesn't know. Now we deal with a number of different topics here on the African History Network show. We deal with current events and history and politics and uh, economic empowerment, entrepreneurship, relationships, love, sex, health issues, and much, much more. Sign up for our email newsletter. Text the word Kemet, K-E-M-E-T, the 22828. To sign up for our email newsletter, text the word Kemet, K-E-M-E-T, the 22828. To sign up for our email newsletter. Also visit our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. Sign up for our email newsletter also. 778-7600. is the call in number if you have a question or comment. Uh, welcome to the African History Network show. It is Tuesday, August 10th, 2021. And we are live. We're broadcasting on our Facebook fan page, The African History Network, The African History Network. And our YouTube channel, Michael M. Hotep, I-M-H-O-T-E-P, uh, as well. All right. So, uh, as I said, we, we'll discuss, um, there's a big article that I saw a couple of days ago dealing with um, 
lynchings and lynchings specifically in Mississippi. Okay. And this is extremely important because you remember the anti-lynching bill was uh, defeated in the Senate, the U.S. Senate, by the idiot Senator Rand Paul, the conspiracy theorist uh, senator who's an ophthalmologist but acts like he's a virologist and doesn't know anything about coronavirus and wants to de debate Dr. Anthony Fauci, th th that, that idiot, uh, who's up for re-election in um, 2022, by the way, okay? Uh, so the anti-lynching bill was uh, defeated in the U.S. Senate in 2020. Now, there's an article here from um, Washington, from thegrill.com. There's an article here from thegrill.com by um, Biba Adams, Biba Adams for, for thegrill.com. Washington Post heroin harrowingly reports lynchings in Mississippi never stopped. Okay. And this is the, uh, uh, piece from the Washington post. And the, the, the name of the article from the Washington post is, uh, lynchings, uh, lynchings in Mississippi never stopped. But one of the things it talks about how is the last recorded lynching in the United States was in 1981 says Jill Colin Jefferson who founded a civil rights organization named after uh, the late activist Julian Bond, after the late activist Julian Bond, civil rights activist Julian Bond. The name of her organization is called Julian. And she told the Washington Post in a haunting uh, new report that lynchings never stopped in the United States. Uh, lynchings in Mississippi never stopped, she said. Um, the, the Washington Post story features in-depth reporting from uh, the Magnolia State, Mississippi, with um, Julian, uh, with Jill Colin Jefferson's data at its core, at its core. The Mississippi native and activist is a graduate of Harvard Law School and was a civil justice uh, investigator, okay? And I'm gonna go to the um, piece here from the Washington Post also entitled, uh, lynchings in Mississippi never stopped. Lynchings in Mississippi never stopped. All right. And in the article, they reference uh, Emmett Till and the uh, lynching of Emmett Till also. Okay. So they reference Emmett Till. Now, since the year 2000, there have been uh, at least eight suspected lynchings of African-American men and teenagers in Mississippi since the year 2000. And they looked at um, from 2000 to 2019, okay? Um, and this is according to court records, according to court records and police reports. Now, the last recorded lynching in the United States was in 1981, said Jill Collin Jefferson. Um, but the thing is that but she went on to say but the thing is uh lynchings never stopped in the united states lynchings in mississippi never stopped the evil people just stopped taking photographs and passing them around like baseball cards now uh, jill colin jefferson was born in jones county mississippi which was the epicenter of the ku klux klan's reign of terror during the civil rights movement and she said, coming uh, from Mississippi and seeing stuff intersect, 
talking about this stuff is like talking about what happened down the road, uh, uh, she said. And she's a, a graduate of Harvard's Law School who trained as a civil justice investigator with Julian Bond. Now, in 2017, uh, Jill Collin Jefferson began compiling records of African-Americans found hanging or mutilated across the country. In 2019, she began focusing her investigation on Mississippi. In 2019, she began focusing her investigation on Mississippi. In each case, she investigated law enforcement officials ruled, in each case she investigated, law enforcement officials ruled uh, the deaths as suicides, okay? They ruled the deaths as uh, suicides, but the family said the victims had been lynched. Now, historically, lynchings were often defined as fatal hangings by mobs, often acting with impunity and in an extrajudicial extra capacity to create racial terror. Crowds of white people often gathered in uh, town squares or on courthouses, on courthouse lawns to watch African-Americans being lynched, specifically African-American men. Now from 1877 to 1950, more than 4,000 African-American men, women, and children were lynched in cities and towns across the country, according to the Equal Justice Initiative, EJI.org, Equal Justice Initiative, Brian Stevenson's organization, Attorney Brian Stevenson. Uh, and uh, Equal Justice Initiative is a human uh, rights organization based in Montgomery, Alabama which opened the National Memorial for Peace and Justice in 2018 to honor thousands, thousands of African-American lynching victims. Now, during this period of time, 1877 to 1950, Mississippi recorded 581 uh, lynchings, the highest numbers of lynchings recorded by state. All right, we're coming up here on the break. Uh, you listen to the African History Network show right here on 910 AM, the Superstage Feature Radio. I'm your host, Brother Michael M. Hotel. We'll be back in a few minutes. Gain knowledge in minutes from insightful summaries of progressive and socially conscious books. Blacklisted gives you access to curated content that'll satisfy your curiosity to learn and understand different perspectives. Empower yourself through inspirational and actionable ideas. It's easy to read or listen to on the go. Blacklisted, empower yourself. Start your free trial today. Black on Purpose Television Network. Yes, Black on Purpose Television Network. All black, all positive, all the time. The largest black-owned streaming television network in the world. Bringing our people together worldwide. Controlling our messages, our stories, our way. Black TV the way it should be. Black music, black history, and more. 30 plus channels, thousands of shows. Black on Purpose Television Network. Subscribe now. The chose the compass of his or her actions because the mind can't do what teach what it doesn't know. We have it all on 910 AM Superstation. 910, the Superstation, Detroit's only African-American talk radio. 
Welcome back to the African History Network show right here on 910 a.m. the Superstation of Future Radio. I'm your host, Brother Michael M. Hotep. It is Tuesday, August 10th, 2021, and we are live. Hope everybody's doing well. It's been a very, very busy day. As I said at the uh, top of the show, uh, we'll talk about this uh, big article from the Washington Post dealing with how lynchings uh, in America, it, it, lynchings in Mississippi never stopped, specifically lynchings in Mississippi never stopped. It's a big piece from uh, Deneen L. Brown. It talks about eight lynchings in Mississippi um, uh, from the year 2000 to 2019 that have been ruled as suicides. Uh, so we'll discuss that also. And uh, Tiffany English, who is director of the Civil Rights Memorial Center at the Southern Poverty Law Center, was um, interviewed by Charles Blow on the Black News Channel on uh, Monday, August 9th, discussing this. So uh, we'll talk about, uh, I'm going to share that clip in just a second. Then today is uh, day two of the jury selection in the R. Kelly case. Uh, so we'll talk about that. Uh, the $1 trillion uh, Senate infrastructure bill, bipartisan Senate infrastructure bill, passed the U.S. Senate today, $1.2 trillion Senate infrastructure bill. They passed the U.S. Senate today. 19 Republicans supported it. Now, at the beginning, uh, now remember, now even even low down Moscow Mitch McConnell, the Grim Reaper himself, the obstructionist, uh, the, the number one obstructionist in the Senate, even Moscow Mitch McConnell voted for the bill. Okay, now remember just a couple months ago, McConnell said it was, he was 100% focused on uh, uh, blocking Biden's agenda, okay? He said that uh, just a couple of months ago. And then he had to backtrack and they said, well, it depends upon what the policies are, all right? Then also, also remember that uh, McConnell said in the beginning, no Republicans were going to vote for the infrastructure bill. Okay, well, 18 Republicans voted for the infrastructure bill, plus one, Mitch McConnell makes 19. So McConnell voted for the bill. Because see, what I think they're coming to the realization of is, um, it, it's a couple of things here. Republicans want to win back the Senate in the 2022 midterm elections. But you can't, but I think they're realizing um, you can't run on nothing. You, you, you can't argue that you should get back control of the Senate in 2022 and you haven't accomplished anything in, in two years in the Senate. You haven't passed any bills that are beneficial to anybody. You've just been obstructionist. And then at the same time, you all acquitted Trump in two uh, impeachment uh, trials. The, the people who are passing the bills are the Democrats. The $1.9 trillion American rescue plan, no Republicans support that in the House or the Senate. So I think I think they're realizing, look, we can't go back and say, put us back in the majority and we haven't accomplished anything. So they had to vote for this bill. And, re and remember, uh, it was about three weeks ago, McConnell was in Kentucky, his home state, talking about how $4 billion was coming to Kentucky 
from the $1.9 trillion American Rescue Plan. He said he talked about how $4 billion was coming to Kentucky. Then he had to admit he didn't vote for the bill. So you so you can't have Republicans going back to their districts saying, yeah, the American Rescue Plan did this and it did that. Oh, but I didn't vote for the bill, but put us back in the majority to do what? You ain't do anything the past two years except uh, acquit uh, uh, Trump and get these uh, federal judges uh, confirmed, these unqualified federal judges oftentimes, Republican federal, federal judges. So I think I, I think they realizing, you know, well, we got to have a record to run on. At the same time, you have Republicans and Fox News and things like this. Many Republicans who've been lying about coronavirus and uh, masks and different things like this. And more people are dying. And I think they're realizing, you know, we keep lying to the people who vote us in office and they keep dying. There's going to be less people to vote us back in the, the majority. So we'll, we'll discuss that. All right. Um, I want to go back to this piece here from um, Washington Post. Right before the break, we were talking about this. Lynchings in Mississippi never stopped. Lynchings in Mississippi never stopped. And this is from um, uh, the Washington Post by Denine L. Brown, uh, August 8th, 2021. This story was picked up also by um, the story was picked up by the griot.com the griot has a good article about this as well the root.com picked it up also from 1877 to 1950 more than 4,000 african-american men women and children were lynched in cities and towns across the country now um historians say uh, lynchings often evoke the image of public hangings however equal justice however the equal justice initiative and the naacp expanded the definition of lynchings to include any extrajudicial racial terror killing and mutilation committed to uphold racial segregation and a false premise of racial hierarchy. Okay, so the lynchings were done to terrorize African-Americans largely and to keep us in a low subservient position in society. The, 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 the lynchings were used as a way to terrorize African-Americans. They were used as a way to attack and try to destroy African-American economic empowerment and entrepreneurship. OK, we we, we saw this in 1892 with the Moss store uh, uh, murders in Memphis, Tennessee. Uh, the People's Grocery Store, Memphis, Tennessee, and. Th these were friends of Ida B. Wells. This is how Ida B. Wells got involved in the anti-lynching movement uh, because these African-American men were killed and you had uh, Tom Moss, who was uh, a successful African-American entrepreneur. He was a, he was a, um, worked for the post office and he owned a grocery store. OK, he owned the grocery store as well. The uh, Zen Education Project has a uh, piece on this. I'm going to pull this up here from the Zen Education Project. But what happened was he had a successful grocery store and it was he was taking away. Uh, he, he was taking away customers 
from the white grocery store across the across the street so the white grocery store owner got uh was jealous and he sent some off-duty deputy sheriffs over the tom moss's grocery store called the people people's grocery store he sent them over to trash the store okay this, it was at night tom moss was there with two of his friends so they didn't know that these were off-duty deputy sheriffs so rightfully so they fight back and shoot back so they're going to be arrested taken to jail and then one night a lynch mob comes takes them out of jail and executes them so these were friends of ida b wells you're going this is going to cause a lot of african americans to to leave uh uh memphis tennessee ida b wells writes articles about this she talks about how every African-American home needs to have a Winchester in it. And then she starts investigating. Uh, here's a picture of Ida B. Wells here. She starts investigating lynchings. And she finds out that, so one of the main reasons for lynchings that took place historically was um, uh, African-American men raping white women. But when she started investigating, she found out that a lot of the sex was consensual sex between white women and African-American men. She found out a lot of the sex was consensual sex. So what happened was she started writing about this. This infuriated a lot of white people in, in Memphis. She ended up having to leave Memphis, Tennessee. She leaves Memphis, she's gonna end up in Chicago. She ends, she ends up having to leave Memphis, Tennessee. But if we look at this quickly, and we'll go to this clip here, because see, all this ties into history. Okay, um, a a a white grocer, grocery store owner in the same area, angered by the challenge to what had been his monopoly on the local grocery business, led a series of campaigns of harassment against the business. Okay, uh, three African American men: Will Stewart, Will Stewart, Tommy Moss, and Calvin McDowell ran the people's grocery store in a multiracial memphis neighborhood known as the curve the curve in memphis tennessee now refused by protection ref refused protection by local law enforcement and fearing a mob attack the african-american grocers armed themselves and prepared for self-defense Sure enough, that attack came and gunfire was exchanged with multiple white men wounded. Uh, Tom uh, 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 Stewart, Moss, and McDowell were arrested in jail. A few days later, the jail was stormed by 75 men in black masks, stormed by 75 men in black masks who took them to a railroad yard. All three were shot and killed. According to a local newspaper, Tom Moss was the last to be shot with these final words. Tell my people to go west. There is no justice for them here. Tell my people to go west. There's no justice for them here. So Tom Moss was a friend of anti-lynching activist Ida B. Wells, who wrote in her autobiography, a finer, cleaner man they, uh, than he never walked the streets of Memphis. The colored people feel that every white man in Memphis who consented in his death is as guilty as those who fired the guns which took his life this is what 
opened my eyes to what lynching really was. Now, this is Ida B. Wells talking about this lynching here opened her eyes because because I, I, I had researched Ida B. Wells previously. Uh, the, the lecture series I do, Great African Women in History, The Mothers of Civilization. I talk about Ida B. Wells and how she got involved in the anti-lynching movement. And see, previously, she thought that lynchings were something that largely happened to poor African-Americans. But there were a lot of middle class and well-to-do African-Americans who were lynched. And this was this was a, a way to fight back against our economic prosperity and to try to keep us in a low subservient level in, in society. Now, this is what she said. This is what opened my eyes to what lynching really was. This is Ida B. Wells. She said an excuse to get rid of Negroes who were acquiring wealth and property and thus keep the race terrorized and keep them down. So when we when we look at lynchings historically, and then when we look at these suspected lynchings today, then we have to ask what's behind this. Okay, so if we, let me pull this up here. Okay, so then we have to ask what's behind this. She said a finer, cleaner uh, man, talking about Tom Moss, then he never walked the streets of Memphis the colored people feel that every white man in Memphis who consented in his death is as guilty as those who fired the guns which took his life. This is what opened my eyes to what lynching really was, an excuse to get rid of Negroes who were acquiring wealth and property and thus keep the race terrorized and keep them down. So when we look at lynchings, this is not just um, individual acts. This is not, uh, and what I mean by that is this is not something that was just, it, it wasn't something that was just uh, random. It was domestic terrorism. And, and when you look at the, the federal government and you look at uh, how they define terrorism, it, it, terrorism, one way to define it is dealing with acts of violence to get people to change their behavior. It, 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 and it deals with it, it could deal with uh, political affiliation. It could deal with political intimidation. So these were acts of violence to get us to change behaviors and to keep us in a low subservient position in life, to discourage acquiring wealth, to discourage acquiring property, to discourage against competing with white people when it came to business. And it could be to discourage us from voting as well, because we see this as well. Opelousa Massacre, 1898, a Massacre in Opelousa, Louisiana, a Massacre of 1920 in Akoi, Florida. OK, we, we, we look at Vicksburg Massacre, 1874 in, in, in Mississippi. All right. And so one of the reasons that we see lynchings taking place historically, it, one, it could be it, it could be because of sex. Two, political power. Two, political power. Okay, I want to go to, before we just totally run out of time, because I wasn't even planning to talk about this, but it just hit me. Um, let's go to this clip here. I want to go to this clip here from uh, Charles Blow's show on the Black News Channel. Uh, he spoke with uh, Tiffany English, director of the Civil Rights Memorial Center, at the Southern Poverty Law Center. They talked about the mystery of lynchings uh, in America never stopped. The mystery of lynchings in America never stopped. Let's go to this clip, Shakita. Uh, 
Lynchings in America are a poignant symbol of terror. They were used to both punish and instill fear in both enslaved and free black people for what were considered major and at times minor infractions. According to the Equal Justice Initiative, more than 4,000 black people were lynched in, in America between 1877 and 1950. Mississippi recorded 581 lynchings, the highest of any state. According to police and court while lynchings are typically viewed as an act of terror connected to America's racist past, since the year 2000, there have been eight suspected lynchings of black people in Mississippi. The last death in America can be classified as a lynching occurred in 1981, but there have been numerous accounts of black people found hanging in trees in various states deemed suicide. In many of these cases, the family have vehemently fought the authority's suicide ruling, but their concerns have often been dismissed. Jill Colin Jefferson, a lawyer and founder of the civil rights organization called Julian, has been investigating the suspected lynchings and has documented the often dismissive patterns of the investigations. She, she said that each death is immediately treated as suicide, that crime scenes are not preserved, and there's a formal ruling of suicide despite the evidence, and ultimately the case is rarely mentioned again. Here to discuss the, the dismissive nature of these investigations and present-day listings is the director of the Civil Rights Memorial Center at the Southern Poverty Law Center, Tiffany English. So, Tiffany, this you know, what, this is a mystery. What do we know about these suspected lynchings and, and, and how, will, it, will they be resolved? You know, Charles, I really wish I could affirmatively answer that question as a yes. Um, and though there are meaningful over the years and even today, attempt to silence the voices and erase the experiences of black people from public discourse, these modern day lynchings make clear that we in this country have a long way to go before racial inequality is truly a thing of the past. Uh, you know, as the director of the Civil Rights Memorial Center and working with Southern Poverty Law Center for a number of years, these modern-day lynchings continue to happen, and they're not just happening in the state of Mississippi. Um, and I know that the focus of the investigation is on that, but they continue to happen throughout the entire United States. And in many ways, those who are seeking to silence minority groups, they continue to do what was historically done, as you said in your opening, through tactics such as fear and intimidation. Um, and now today we're seeing these campaigns to eliminate race from classroom discussions and voter suppression. And throughout the years, you know, we've had family members calling us, asking if anything can be done, um, because as you said, this blanket rule of suicide needs further investigation. Um, so, no, you know, I can talk about- oh, no, I was going to say, the terror really only works if you do it publicly, you take credit for it, people can see, oh, these are the bad, these guys are going to get me if I do this thing, if I cross them in some sort of way. Is there any 
motivation here that, that can be discerned in any of these cases? Does anybody ever take any sort of credit, even online, anonymously? It, it seems like the perpetrator would want some recognition that we have achieved something by doing this. Yeah, you know, one of the one of the individuals named in that uh, in the article um, was James Craig Anderson, um, who was tragically killed in Jackson, Mississippi. Uh, at the time, his perpetrator was 18 years old, who bragged about it, um, and it was a group of teenagers uh, who actually bragged about it, made reference to Jackson, Mississippi, as Gaffrica. And so there are instances such as this with James Anderson, a case that Southern Poverty Law Center was involved in, where the assailants were bragging about it and intentionally sought out to terrorize someone uh, who was black and in a black community. And it is because of this and other forms of racial terror and oppression um, that the Southern Poverty Law Center continues uh, to step up, confront the injustices, and do all that we can uh, to elevate the voices and concerns of those in the community, specifically when it involves law enforcement and the lack of investigation in these cases. Uh, on a broader note, do you see an uptick in kind of racial violence and terror against Black people recently? Recently and, and through the years, what we know about hate crimes is, is that they continue to be a pervasive problem in the U.S., specifically um, as it relates to African Americans. And because reporting crimes to the FBI is purely voluntarily, we don't even have the scope of what those numbers really look like. Because the actual number of hate crimes across the country is much larger, much, much larger than the FBI statistics indicate. And I think one of the things uh, that was telling, it was a couple of years ago, where um, when we look at the hate crime statistics, overwhelmingly black people are still targeted and also anti-Semitism. And so we're seeing these numbers increase in recent years. Right. So I have about a minute left, but I just want to ask you this question. Many people argue that the killing, police killings of unarmed black men should be classified as lynching as well. What do you stand on that? So Southern Poverty Law Center has not, you know, taken a stance on that. And what I will say is that we do affirmatively uh, feel that police should be held accountable um, in these instances where um, our black and brown men and women um, are being murdered at the hands of police. So we, we strongly believe that um, police should be held accountable in those instances. And we realize that far too many have not, um, have not reached the level of justice that is required or that is needed um, to send a strong message to the black community. Okay, pause it right there. All right. Okay, so that is from uh the Black News Channel. Um, that's from the actual show aired 
uh, Monday, August 9th, 2021. That clip uh, from uh, YouTube has the date August 10th on it, but that's the show actually from uh, August 9th. And that was uh, Charles Blow's uh, show. He spoke with Tiffany English, director of the uh, Civil Rights Memorial Center uh, at the Southern Poverty Law Center. Okay, now the if we look here again at the well quickly here um naacp.org national website of the naacp i've talked about this before they have information on here dealing with the history of lynchings okay and if you go to naacp.org and just search for lynchings it'll come up what are lynchings all right um and they say that a, a lynching is the public killing of an individual who has not received any due process uh, any due process of law. Thus, uh, uh, these executions were often carried out by lawless mobs, though police officers did participate under the pretext of justice. Lynchings were violent public acts that white people used to terrorize and control black people in the 19th and 20th centuries, particularly in the South. Lynchings typically evoke images of African-American men and women hanging, hanging from trees, but they involve other extreme brutality, etc. Uh, mutilations, etc. Now, they they talk about how from 1882 to 1968 there were 4,743 recorded lynchings in this country. 1882 to 1968, Mississippi had the most number of lynchings at 581, and this is what the this is what the article also from uh, Deneen L. Brown with the Washington Post talks about. Mississippi had the most number of lynchings at 581. Georgia had the second most at 531. Texas had the third uh, most at 493. All three are former Confederate states, by the way. That's not by coincidence. All three are former slaveholding states. All three are former uh, Confederate states as well. Um, and it, it also it, it talks about how um, lynchings did not occur in every state. There are no recorded lynchings in Arizona, Idaho, Maine, Nevada, South Dakota, Vermont, and Wisconsin. Um, African-Americans made up 72% of the lynchings, 3,446 African-Americans were lynched from 1882 to 1968. But white people made up, uh, there were 1,297 white people who were lynched also because the, the Ku Klux Klan and other domestic terrorist organizations were not just attacking African-Americans, even though we got the brunt of it, they were also attacking white Republicans. They were, attack, they were killing white Republicans, they were killing Jews, uh, some white people were lynched for helping uh, black people or for being anti-lynching, it, and especially during the Reconstruction era, because in 1871, President Ulysses S. Grant uses the Ku Klux Klan Act of 1871 to declare martial law in nine counties in South Carolina to crack down on the Ku Klux Klan because the Klan was killing uh, people. They were killing white people, killing African-Americans, things like this. Immigrants from Mexico, China, Australia, and other countries were also lynched. Okay, that's not talked about a lot. Now, uh, so read this piece here. They had the exact number, 1,297, because I've read this information before. I'm not sure where it is here, but that they talked about how many white people were lynched from that period of time as well. What are lynchings at NAACP.org? Check that out. Okay. Um, and then this article from the Grio, we're going to go to clip two. We're going to go to the clip dealing with R. Kelly in just a second. Shakita, so cue that up, please. Um, lastly, the piece here from the Grio talks about, um, it, it, it talks about, uh, talks about Senator Rand Paul, Senator Rand Paul, 
of uh, Kentucky, that idiot in Kentucky that needs to be voted out of office. He's up for re-election in 2022. Elections have consequences. He's the dumbass who blocked the anti-lynching bill in the Senate in 2020. An anti-lynching bill stalled in the U.S. Senate in 2020 after ignorant uh, Republican Senator Rand Paul, who pushes conspiracy theories about uh, coronavirus, after he single-handedly kept it from passing into law by seeking changes to the legislation. Senator Rand Paul said the Emmett Till Anti-Lynching Act, named after 14-year-old Emmett Till, who was lynched in Mississippi, and they say 1954, that's wrong. It was 1955, it was August 28th, 1955, Emmett Till was uh, uh, lynched, August 28th, 1955. Uh, a murder that was uh, a major impetus for the modern day civil rights movement was, dra he said it was drafted too broadly and could cause minor assaults to be defined as lynchings. This is why it ain't just about your two senators, it's about the other senators in the US Senate. And this is why when we have idiots like Senator Rand Paul we got to make sure that we vote them out of office. Elections have consequences. Let's go quickly to, well, um, we'll play the clip from uh, then with R. Kelly tomorrow. Those watching on our Facebook fan page, uh, The African History Network, The African History Network, and my YouTube channel, Michael M. Hotel, keep watching. We'll, we'll keep broadcasting for a few more minutes here, and we'll do with R. Kelly. Infrastructure bill, and Andrew Cuomo, we'll talk about that uh, some more tomorrow. Uh, if you like this type of information, you can support the African History Network. Dollar sign the AHN show through Cash App. Dollar sign the AHN show through Cash App. Also through PayPal, paypal.me forward slash the AHN show, paypal.me forward slash the AHN show. This helps us keep doing the research, stay on the air, keep broadcasting, uh, pay some of the bills. We're here six days a week. Um, dollar sign the AHN show through Cash App. Now, also, you can still register for the 10-week online course that I teach on Saturdays, the new 10-week online course I teach on Saturdays from the Civil War to the Civil Rights Movement and Black Power, 1865 to 1968. And we deal with some of the information we talked about here. Uh, it's 3 p.m. to 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. We do the class live. All the sessions are recorded. You can uh, go back and watch them over and over again. Visit our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, and then uh, uh, click on register here, and you can uh, register for the course. As soon as you register this content, you can start watching. You can watch the class from last week. Lastly, 9, 10 a.m. Superstation, Mr. Cities at the beginning. They have a they have the the the, the Godfather uh, advertising package, the greatest advertising package you ever heard of. 9, 10 a.m. Superstation has the greatest advertising deal ever with their Godfather package. Two hundred spots for five hundred dollars with a must air within thirty day policy. That is only two dollars and fifty cents per spot for those who can't add or subtract and will or divide. And we will even produce the spots for free. Well, they will. That's right. They will produce the spots for free. Call Renisha Williams right now. 313-434-8291. 434-8291, call Renisha Williams, tell her that Michael M. Hotep told you to call. Right now, it's correct, wrong behavior. It's not over till we win. We're kind of forever. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Peace. All right, stand by. Let me clear this call. All right, stand by. Okay. Um, how's everybody doing? Okay, share this broadcast on your social media platforms. Invite your friends to tune in also. Um register for the new 10 week online course that I teach. As soon as you register, you can watch the class we just did this uh, 
past weekend. Uh, this past weekend's class was uh, excellent. We dealt with uh, the president, the presidential election of 1876, which led to the uh, compromise of 1877, which ended Reconstruction. Okay, we're going to post a link here. Next class is uh, uh, Saturday, August 14th. And we do the class live. All the sections are recorded. You can go back and watch them over and over again. Each class we go through and analyze an approximately 10-year period of history, okay, uh, with this class. And then the other 10-week uh, online course I teach, Ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa, Understanding the Transatlantic Slave Trade, where they didn't teach you in school. Uh, you can still register for that as well. The classes are on sale, $80. And uh, we do the classes live. They're all, they're all, they're all recorded also. Um, Ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa, that one's on Sundays, 2 p.m. to 4 p.m. That's a 10-week online course also. Okay, now, let's see here. I want to go to uh, this piece here on R. Kelly. Uh, some more information done with Ida B. Wells. This is a good one here. When I was doing my research on Ida B. Wells, this is an article that I read. Uh, this is from PBS.org, PBS.org, Public Broadcasting System. Ida B. Wells forced out of Memphis, 1892. Ida B. Wells forced out of Memphis, 1892. This is from the series The Rise and Fall of Jim Crow. Okay. And it talks about how, um, uh, when, in doing her research on lynchings and she found out a lot of the lynchings were consensual. She started writing about this in the, in the newspaper. Okay. That she was the editor of and her suggestion that white women would willingly have sexual relations with black men and raised white people in Memphis, Memphis, Tennessee, her, her, her newspaper office was trash. She ended up having to leave Memphis. Okay. She, she was ran out of Memphis, Tennessee. Um, the lynchings were a turning point. They need a better font for this. The lynchings were a turning point in Ida B. Wells' life. Uh, if we back up here very quickly, it says, okay, Tom Moss was a highly respected uh, figure in the black community. Uh, a white competitor enraged that Tom Moss had drawn away his black customers, hired some off-duty deputy sheriffs to destroy the store. Tom Moss and his friends, not knowing uh, the men were deputies, resisted. A gun battle broke out. A gun battle broke out and several deputies were wounded. Tom Moss, his two friends and other uh, and, and uh, 100 uh, other black men, uh, black supporters were arrested. OK, Tom Moss, his friends and 100 other black supporters were arrested several nights later. Mass vigilantes dragged Tom Moss and his two friends from their cells, took them to a deserted railroad yard, and shot them, shot them to death. Enraged by their deaths, Ida B. Wells lashed out at the refusal of Memphis police to arrest the well-known killers, okay? Because people knew who was behind this. Just like people knew who, just like people knew that uh, Roy, um, uh, Roy Bryant and J.W. Millam were uh, guilty of killing Emmett Till, okay? Just like they knew that uh, people knew who was behind the killings of uh, these African-Americans. All right, let me pull up, uh, let me go here. Okay. Here's a picture of Ida B. Wells here. Uh, Ida B. Wells with Miss uh, Betty Ross, Betty Ross, 
the widow of Tom, Tom Betty Moss, uh, widow of Tom Moss. Betty Moss is seated. Uh, and Tom Moss Jr., who was born after the lynching, which dates this picture at about 1893. OK, uh, the source of this picture is lynching sites project lynching sites project and that's Ida B. Wells standing. All right, now. Okay. All right, now she encouraged, so Ida B. Wells encouraged African-Americans to protest with boycotts of white owned stores and public transportation. So, see, this is one of the things that I researched when I was um, researching Ida B. Wells. And when we go study our history, we see that we used economic withdrawal, economic boycotts as, as a way to fight back against white supremacy. That's a tool that we're largely not using today. That's a tool that we're largely not using today. Ida B. Wells encouraged African-Americans to protest with boycotts of white-owned stores and boycotts of public transportation. The lynchings were a turning point in Ida B. Wells' life. She began to investigate and reveal the real motivations that lay behind lynching. Like many middle-class African-Americans, Ida B. Wells had accepted the myth that only poor African-Americans were lynched for heinous crimes. Like many middle-class African-Americans, Ida B. Wells accepted the myth that only poor African-Americans were lynched for heinous crimes. Ida B. Wells was shocked into recognizing that even innocent middle-class African-Americans could be targets. As Ida B. Wells investigated the reasons for lynching, she discovered that a number of victims were lynched not for rape, but for having sexual relations with consenting white women. Okay? So, see, this gets to the root of it. This gets, this gets right down to the root of it. And see, what happened was you had consensual sex oftentimes between African-American men and white women, and then her husband found out her brother found out, her father found out, her, her boyfriend found out, and they go get the good old boys and lynch him. And he's he's innocent. In in the in the case of in the in the case of uh uh and this leads also to race riots and, and things like that. Like uh 1923, January 1923, Rosewood, Florida. And that was a fictitious black man. That 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 the a white woman made up, okay? Uh, uh, Jesse, I forgot his name, Jesse Hunter or something like that. He was a fictitious black man that she made up, who did not assault her, did not come to her house. It, it was um, it, there, there was a report that uh, a prisoner escaped from a nearby chain gang, and. This white woman was cheating on her husband with a white man. Her white lover beat her up. She blames the escaped convict for beating her up. And 
she says, now she didn't say that he sexually assaulted her. But once the sheriff finds out and the good old boys find out, it becomes like, a, you know, becomes a sexual assault. But that's not what happened. It was her white lover who beat her up. And to cover this up from her husband, she makes up this lie that this black man beat her up. So then they go out hunting for this Jesse character and they kill African-Americans and they run, they, they ran all the African-Americans out of the town. It's a town of about 200 people in Rosewood, Florida. And they're going to take their land and they take Rosewood, Florida off of the map after the massacre. When you go study Rosewood, this is one of the crazy things about Rosewood, Florida. They, re they removed Rosewood, Florida off of the map. And they took the black people's land. They own homes, all this stuff in Rosewood. In the movie uh, by John Singleton, director John Singleton, who you know passed away a couple years ago, uh, Rosewood talks, you know, it depicts some of this. Now, the movie is different than like that real history. Because I, 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 I did a lecture dealing with uh, Rosewood, Florida, and I showed the difference between what really happened in the movie. And the movie, because this is the movies, it's it's a good movie, but now if you want to study history, you need to go to history books. Because the main character in the movie, played by Bing Rains, the character of Man, Man didn't even exist. That's a fictitious character. Man didn't even exist. He was probably a composite character, which means he is a character that embodies the uh, real life actions of a uh, real uh, people. And they probably just put that into one character. That's one of the that's um, one of the ways they uh, make his uh, movies, theatrical movies that are based upon history. They have composite characters. They did the same thing with um, the movie Harriet. The movie the, the the character that Janelle Monae played, who's an abolitionist, was a fictitious character. She's probably the embodiment of of his of actual actions uh of real life activists uh, a real life abolitionist just embodied into one person a fictitious character they did this is uh typical of uh hollywood movies that deal with history none of these movies are historically 100 historically accurate that's why i prefer documentaries none of these none of the you can't point to any of these movies that are 100 historically accurate and then the in the question you have to ask yourself is where did the script come from? Where did the words in the script come from? That's not taken verbatim from a book. That, that, that That's created. Usually what they do is they will read a number of different books and they'll bring on historical consultants and they look at a number uh, of different books dealing with history of that time period and that subject matter. And then they take different ideas and actions of people and attribute that to different characters in the movie. And they put into the mouths of different characters, different views of the time, etc. Okay? It's not a verbatim script. All this stuff is made up. All this stuff is made up. It has a historical foundation, but all this, none of this stuff is 100% accurate in historical movies. Okay. This is why a lot of the criticism that the movie Harriet got some of those same people criticizing Harriet didn't criticize uh, other 
movies, uh, 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 other movies, especially uh, movies dealing with, white, uh, dealing with history surrounding white people, they didn't attack those movies like they attack Harriet. All these movies have fictitious characters in them. The the movie the, the the movie about the Black Panthers, directed by uh, Mario Van Peebles and Melvin Van Peebles, the the character that Kadeem Hardison played is a fictitious character. Mario Van Peebles did an interview on Charlie Rose's uh, show on PBS back in the '90s when the movie came out, and he talked about the movie making process, and he talked about. Kadeem Hardison's character. Kadeem Hardison's character was a fictitious character, but he said this character takes you through different historical events. He said if, if they just told it from the perspective of Huey P. Newton, then you miss things happening with Bobby Seale. If you just told it from the perspective of Bobby Seale, then you miss things happening to Huey P. Newton. So they created this fictitious character, everyday working class guy who joins the Black Panther Party for self-defense to improve his community, and he takes you through different historical events that surrounded the Black Panthers. None of these movies are 100% accurate. All right. So let's go back to this right here. I dealt with all this back at the time because it's just people just putting out nonsense. I guess they just wanted attention on social media or something. Some of the dumbest ass comments came out. And then when Comcast and these other uh, uh, companies put out other uh, movies after that, dealing with history and all that stuff, and it's it dealing with oh, um, histories around the white people and all this stuff. They, they were silent. You know, it's just nonsense. Okay. Quote, nobody in this section of the community. This is Ida B. Wells. She said, nobody in this section of the community believes that old threadbare lie that Negro men rape white women that Negro men rape white women. If Southern men are not careful, a conclusion might be reached, which will be very damaging to the moral reputation of their women. And what she's saying is, is that the conclusion will be reached that white women want black men sexually and more so than white men. So the suggestion that white women would willingly have sexual relations with black men enraged white people in Memphis, Tennessee, especially white men. Since Ida B. Wells did not sign her name to her editorials, the white press assumed a man had written the article. The Memphis Scimitar advocated a violent response. Quote, it will be the duty of those whom he has attacked to tie the wretch to a stake, brand him in the forehead with a hot iron and perform upon him a surgical operation with a pair of shears. They're talking about castrating an African-American man. Okay, this is in new, this is in the white newspaper there in Memphis. A mob destroyed Ida B. Wells' newspaper while Ida B. Wells was out of town. Forced to remain in the North, Ida B. Wells launched a national crusade against lynching that would capture the attention of the nation and Europe. This is how Ida B. Wells got involved in the anti-lynching movement, okay, because of the Mosto murders of 1892. Okay, so read this article here. Ida B. Wells forced out of Memphis, 1892. This is from PBS.org. 
and uh, it's in the section, the rise and fall of, of Jim Crow, the rise and fall of Jim Crow. And these are some of the things that we deal with in the 10-week in the online course that I teach, from the Civil War to the Civil Rights Movement and Black Power, 1865 to 1968. And we in each... Uh, uh, class, we go through and analyze an approximately 10-year uh, period of history to understand how we got to where we are today, what happened after slavery ended, how we got to where we are today, and understand these laws and policies that were put in place uh, as well, and how we're still affected today, so we understand where we go from here, what are the next steps. But you have to understand history to understand this, and understand laws to understand this. Okay, so uh, we'll post this link here for the uh, for the article. I want to go to uh, want to go quickly to this next story. Then I got to get out of here. Um, R. Kelly, uh, the jury selection for R. Kelly trial is on the way. Today was day two uh, in jury selection. There's an article here that I didn't get a chance to talk about it all yesterday. I wanted to, it's just so much. Uh, and I'm looking at so many, um, I'm looking at so many articles. I'm looking at so much information. Um, there was an article from, from lawandcrime.com, from lawandcrime.com. R. Kelly tries to dismiss charges in advance, arguing herpes does not count as acute bacterial venereal disease under public health law. Okay. Uh, so if we look at this piece, then we're going to go to this clip here from the Black News Channel. Uh, my friend, attorney Candace Kelly, was on uh, Start Your Day with Shan Reed. Candace Kelly is a uh, legal analysts and sometimes we're panelists together on um, Roland Martin Unfiltered. I'm a panelist on Roland Martin Unfiltered every Friday. So let me see here if we go over to this. Just a second. Let me put this caption up. All right, so if you look at this article here from um, Law and Crime, lawandcrime.com. This is from August 9th, Monday, August 9th, uh, which was day one of the uh, jury selection. Day one of jury selection. So on the same morning, a jury trial began in his racketeering case and battle singer R. Kelly moved to dismiss charges in his criminal indictment, accusing him of knowingly transmitting herpes to his alleged victims. Uh, his attorneys argue that the virus does not fall under the public health laws definition of acute bacterial venereal disease to allow the uh, government to move forward uh, with those counts would be to allow a clear mischaracterization and interpretation of the application of the statute, uh, considering the statute clearly, clearly does not 
incorporate herpes. The singer's lawyer, Thomas A. Uh, Farinella, wrote in a 13-page memo supporting his motion on dismiss on Monday. Now, it is unequivocal that this law was passed to prevent exposure to an acute bacterial venereal disease such as syphilis or gonorrhea and not herpes. It is unequivocal that this law was passed to prevent exposure to acute bacterial venereal, venereal disease and syphilis or gonorrhea and not herpes. He added emphasizing the words, uh, the words in original. Now, let me pull something up here. Uh, All right, I'm going to go to this clip here in just a second. Now, the motion to dismiss quotes the New York uh, State Department of Health's history of the public health law passed in 1943 to prevent spread of disease, of diseases such as syphilis and gonorrhea uh, to members of the military during World War II. The legislation was amended three years later in 1946, more than two decades before scientists identified uh, genital herpes as a disease, according to the motion to dismiss. R. Kelly's team argues that allowing the government to proceed on this theory could open the door to federal criminalization of HIV transmission. Okay. Now, in a recent pre in, in recent pretrial motion, in a recent pretrial motion, prosecutors previewed testimony from anonymous witness witnesses such as Jane Doe number five, who is expected to testify that she was 15 years old when uh, she met R. Kelly in Florida in 2015. The singer also allegedly filmed himself having sex with her again, thereby producing child pornography, prosecutors say. Okay, I wanna go to, uh, let's go to this clip here from, I wanna go to this clip here from uh, Black News Channel. And this is uh, from Start Your Day with uh, Sharon Reed. And they're talking about uh, day two of a jury selection in the R. Kelly trial. Potential jurors in the R. Kelly trial are being asked if they can keep an open mind about the R&B singer who is charged with sex trafficking. Our justice correspondent Candace Kelly is here with a look at what happened in court um, and what we can expect uh, today. Good morning, Candace. I did have to make it clear yours is K-E-L-L-E-Y. Okay, no yes, relation. Uh, but I want you, that's right. I want you to tell us um, about R. Kelly's attorneys. They say one of the charges is illegal. Um, one of the charges against them, they want it dismissed. Explain. So, you know, at the beginning of each day, starting with your selection, the attorneys, they have certain requests of the court. They say, we want this evidence to be removed or this evidence to stay. What they said was these charges, these federal charges, based upon an STD, um, they want those dropped. What they're saying is that 
herpes, which is what these federal charges in this indictment accuse that uh, that uh, R. Kelly gave herpes to many of the victims that will eventually take the stand. They said that that's not a chargeable offense because herpes is in fact a virus as opposed to a disease. So they are really trying to make the distinction that we need to take that particular chargeable offense off the table. So it was really a question of semantics. Certainly we're going to hear about herpes if it stays on that, because again, many of the girls said that they got herpes from them and they were warned by other parents uh, who gave them calls from uh, parents of other of the girls who had gotten herpes, get yourself tested. The, the attorneys want this off the table, making this, this specific distinction that this is a virus, not a disease. So very interesting there. You know, Candace, he's got a lot <laughs> that he has to yes. contend with in this fight for really his life, his freedom. When they start having to argue about how many people he gave herpes to and virus, disease, whatever, it seems to me that this is pushing a boulder up a mountain. Um, but the lawyers were successful. Kelly's lawyers in another area, some of the witness testimony, um, they did get it excluded. What happened here? Well, you know, there are a number of witnesses that attorneys for the prosecution, the feds, they would bring these attorneys and, and witnesses forward saying that there were certain things that R. Kelly did in the past that he wasn't necessarily indicted for or charged with. And these witnesses have taken the stand before in cases like uh, Bill Cosby or Harvey Weinstein. And again, these are witnesses who go on stand, talk about issues and, and really crimes that the person was not even charged for. And, and what this tactic has done in the past has really created a situation like the Bill Cosby case, where you have things that on appeal could be potentially overturned. So this judge, of course, with, with great caution said, when it comes to these witnesses, we're not gonna have a replay of Cosby. We're not gonna have a replay of Weinstein. These witnesses cannot speak. These witnesses are talking about things that R. Kelly was never even charged for, might lend themselves to the case, but these witnesses will not take a stand because what a judge will do at the beginning of a case from day one is make sure that he or she does nothing that will come up an appeal. And we've heard um, mm. something that's already come up an appeal yesterday, and she just wants to make sure that, that the attorneys cannot lay the groundwork for an appeal. So she, she said that these witnesses were disqualified. It's kind of level in the playing field. Um, we, we learned about a delay, opening statements now August 18th. Um, I want to know why that is, because R. Kelly um, had some attorneys late to the party for him, so to speak. Um, is that why or, or no? Yeah, that, that really is the issue. These, attorney, these attorneys needed to get if you get a case like this, they're really looking at 30 years of evidence. So these are attorneys who they had a solo practice, they're going to have to close down their firm or they have to pass it uh, to some somebody else in terms of giving the, the work to somebody else because they're not going to have the time. They're going to have to close out these accounts and give it all to R. Kelly. So they needed extra time in order to be caught up. I mean, these attorneys have been working on this for years before they were taken off the case last month. So these attorneys were simply asking for more time in order to get caught up, in order to deal with all of the issues, in order to deal with someone uh, like an R. Kelly who can't read or write. This is someone who writes his attorneys in letters phonetically if he's writing them or questions phonetically. So there's a lot that's going on here in terms of all the information. The bottom line was that they needed more time. Yeah, um, boy, that's that's so difficult to hear. I, I was going to say, too, though, nine days. That's, from what you described, that does not seem like enough time, um, but I guess it's something. What kind of defense will they prepare for R. Kelly? Because, again, these charges seem insurmountable. 
Yeah, they do. I mean, we're talking about so many states, so many witnesses, 30 years, RICO law that's being applied in a different way. But the defense is going to say this. Listen, these girls knew what, knew what was, was going to happen. They were groupies. They were fans. What do you think is going to happen when you pull somebody out of the audience? Uh, that's what attorneys have said on record so far. They've also talked about the fact that many women who are going to take the stand, they're recounting what happened some 20, 10 years ago. What are their memories like? Have they forgotten? Do they remember anything? And what is the truth is that many of these girls have changed their testimony because 10, 15 years ago, they weren't ready to tell their story. So they've been on record. They've been on Gail King. They have said things that they are now saying were not true because they were forced by R. Kelly. So whenever you get a witness that is on the stand, you try to go after their credibility. And that's really what his defense is preparing for. Because like you said, this is just mountains of information, years of information that they're going have to attack. So the way that they're going to go is they're probably going to attack the credibility of these witnesses. And that's what they're doing right now as they go through all this information, gearing up for what's going to happen in a couple of weeks. Yeah, and I know you and I have talked about this before. You've warned us that could be dangerous, right? That can be dangerous when you're talking about sexual assault survivors because that's par for the course, um, particularly when you're very young when that happens. Um, memory, I can't remember how the show started, Candace, so maybe that's good. But when you start <laughs> with the whole groupie right, thing, right. you know, mm -hmm. the groupie yes. thing, uh, watch out because it's going to depend on who's on this jury. If R. Kelly, who has denied that he did any of this, he says none of this is true, if he is convicted, because um, he's already been behind bars for two years, what what does he face potentially? How long? Listen, and the with these charges alone, just on this particular federal case, because remember, we have other state cases, we have other civil suits that will be coming. On these particular charges alone, he could spend the rest of his life in jail. On the RICO statute alone, those particular charges carry up to 20 years. And he is looking at several charges for that particular RICO statute. And we haven't even gotten to the bribery, the exploitation, to the uh, uh, to the extortion. So just on, you know, the RICO statute alone, he could spend that, spend his life, his uh, the final years of his life in jail. A lot of years here. Yeah, well, there are victims, survivors yes. of sexual assault out there who say they were his victims, who say that would be justice. But we'll see. has to play out in the federal court. Justice correspondent Candace Kelly, thank you. We'll see you tomorrow, You're Candace. Welcome. All right. So that is from uh, Black, New uh, Black News Channel. Uh, start your day with host Sharon Reed. Uh, spoke with uh, Candace Kelly, K-E-L-L-E-Y. No relation to R. Kelly spoke with a uh, legal analyst, uh, Candace Kelly. Okay, yeah, that's from uh, Tuesday, August 10th, 2021. All right, now if we uh, go back and look at this article here from lawandcrime.com from August 9th, 2021, uh, R. Kelly tries to dismiss charges in advance of trial. This was on day one of jury selection, arguing herpes does not count as acute bacterial venereal disease under public health law. And that's something that we heard uh, attorney Candace Kelly uh, address. So if we go back here, they talk about um, uh, one of the uh, alleged victims here. Okay, in a recent pretrial motion, prosecutors previewed testimony from uh, anonymous witnesses such as Jane Doe 5 who was expected to testify that she was 15 years old 
when she met R. Kelly in Florida in 2015. The singer also allegedly filmed him, himself having sex with her, again, quote, thereby producing child pornography, prosecutor said. Uh, quote, as a result of the defendant's actions, Jane Doe, number five, contracted an incurable sexually transmitted disease at the age of 17, prosecutors allege. Now, R. Kelly claims that uh, some of the alleged victims were not minors and had consensual sex with him. Okay. So, so some of the alleged victims. Okay. Uh, this argument forms the basis of the singer's bid to dismiss certain allegations of reckless endangerment for exposing his alleged victims to the, to the disease, to herpes. His lawyers claim that the allegation particularly does not fit for relations that describe as that uh, they describe as quote adult consensual sexual intercourse, adult consensual sexual intercourse. Um, the memo states essentially the law requires that the risk connected to a reckless endangerment charge demonstrate must demonstrate a gross deviation from the standard of conduct that a reasonable person would observe in the situation and permitting this charge to stand would be tantamount to criminalizing adult consensual sexual intercourse the, mem the memo states all right now prosecutors claim that r kelly filmed himself having sex with alleged minor victims, thereby producing child pornography. But R. Kelly wants to dismiss those allegations, claiming that the government has not produced evidence of the footage. Okay, it sounds like he was, well, that's your argument, they haven't produced evidence of the footage, as opposed to, no, they weren't minors, I ain't had sex with minors. He, he, claim, he claims some of the alleged victims were not minors. Is he claiming all of the alleged victims were not minors? I'm just curious. Is, that, is, it, is it your argument that all the alleged victims were not minors? Because when you, when you say something like the government has not produced evidence of the footage, uh, if, if, if you didn't have sex with minors, I would think you would say uh, there is no evidence of, the, I would think you say there is no footage of me having sex with minors because I never had sex with minors. You know, <laughs> so, um, however, there is no evidence that visual, uh, that visual exists in memo states. Therefore, as a matter of law, and because it is impossible to find the Mr. Kelly, uh, 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 to, to find the, the, the Mr. Kelly of these allegations should be dismissed. There is no evidence that visual depictions exist. So wouldn't you say I never had sex with minors and never feel myself having sex with minors? I'm just... <laughs> I mean, <laughs> that's what I would say. I mean, <laughs> prosecutors claim 
that R. Kelly filmed himself having sex with his alleged minor victims, quote, thereby producing child pornography. But the singer wants to dismiss those allegations, claiming that the government has not produced evidence of the footage. The memo states, however, there is no evidence that uh, that visual depictions exist. Therefore, as a matter of law, and because it is impossible to find the uh, Mr. Kelly of these allegations should be dismissed. Now, the memo was was filed with the commencement of jury selection on Monday. Trial is scheduled to start on uh, August 18th. So they're still going through jury selection. They have the brief below that you can read also. I would think if you didn't have sex with minors, you would say, I ain't had sex with, I never had sex with minors. I never filmed myself having sex with minors. There's no video of me having sex with minors. That's what I would say, but that's just, you know, that's just me because I ain't never had sex with minors before. So that's just me, but <laughs> that's what I would think. <laughs> that <laughs> That's what I would think your argument would be. I never had sex with minors. I never feel myself having sex with minors. You don't have any video of me having sex with minors because it don't exist because I, I never did that. That's, that's, that's what I would think you would say, but you know. <laughs> All right. So <laughs> we'll see what happens in this trial. I don't think, I don't think this trial is going to end up too well for Kales. It's not going to be like the other trial. <laughs> I don't think this trial is going to end up too well for Kales. I'm just telling you. <laughs> I'm just preparing all the R. Kelly fans. I'm just preparing for you. I'm just, I'm just preparing you for for it now. All right. I don't think this is going to turn out too well for Kales. Um. Okay. How's everybody? We have Kenya, Offset, uh, Jr. Just a few of the people watching. Okay. These other topics we, we we're going to have to get to tomorrow. It's, uh, I had some technical difficulties uh, in the beginning of the show. Hey, if you like this type of information, you can support the African History Network. Dollar sign the AHN show through Cash App. Dollar sign the AHN show through Cash App. Also through PayPal, paypal.me forward slash the AHN show, paypal.me forward slash the AHN show. We have six days a week, Monday through Friday, um, 11 p.m. to midnight, Sundays, 9 p.m. to 11 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. This helps us keep doing the research, stay on the air, keep broadcasting. This is our official Cash App account, dollar sign, the AHN show, S-H-O-W. And it'll show my name there, Michael, and has my picture. These other ones are fake African History Network Cash App accounts. All right. Um, our actual Cash App tag is dollar sign, the AHN show, S-H-O-W. We also, uh, you can also support us through PayPal, paypal.me forward slash the AHN show. And we have the information at our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. Uh, be sure to register for the 10-week online course that I teach on Saturdays. This is an exciting new course on Saturdays, 3 p.m. to 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, from the Civil War to the Civil Rights Movement and Black Power, 1865 to 1968. And uh, this class, we analyze U.S. history primarily from the African-American perspective, beginning in 1865 with 40 acres and a mule, the end of the Civil War and the, and, and the 13th Amendment ratified December 6, 1865. We'll, uh, we look at the Reconstruction Era, 1865 to 1877, the Jim Crow Era, World War I, 1914 to 1918, the Great Migration, 1915 to 1970. Six million African Americans migrate out, out of the South and up North. 
look at World War II, uh, World War II era, 1941 and 1945, and what happens after World War II, uh, the Civil Rights Movement, uh, Emmett Till, Brown versus Board of Education, uh, Montgomery Bus Boycott, and the Civil Rights Movement, and then the Civil Rights Movement giving birth to the Black Power Movement in 1966. And we look at the assassination of Dr. King as well. We take it up through about 1968, okay? So each class we go through and analyze approximately 10 year period of history. And then do a PowerPoint presentation. We have book references, articles, video clips. Uh, so as soon as you register, you can uh, start watching content. You can watch the class uh, we just did uh, this past uh, Saturday and in, in, uh, the class before that also. All right, and click on register here. It takes you to the next page. And uh, on the next page, just click on uh, enroll. And as soon as you uh, click on enroll, you can start watching the content. And you can watch from around the world. You can also use this information with your children as well. Okay. I would say the class is PG 13. But I do a PowerPoint presentation. We have book references, articles, video clips, um, everything. So it's a fantastic. Uh, it's a fantastic class. All right, we'll post a link here so you can register for it. You can start watching content right away. And we'll see you in class on Saturday. And then you can still register for the first 10-week online course that I teach from the uh, ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa, Understanding the Transatlantic Slave Trade, where they didn't teach you in school. All right, and we do a thousands of years of history in this class and we do what led up to the transatlantic slave trade taking place that's on sundays 2 p.m to 4 p.m eastern standard time and then also all of my dvd lectures and, and and digital downloads are available at our website africanhistorynetwork.com africanhistorynetwork.com also all right look we have to get out of here remember at the african history network we focus on educating empowering and inspiring people of african descent throughout the diaspora and around the world because right now it's correct your own behavior it's not over till we win. We're kind of forever. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Peace. Black on Purpose Television Network. Yes, Black on Purpose Television Network. All black, all positive, all the time. The largest black-owned streaming television network in the world. Bringing our people together worldwide. Controlling our messages, our stories, our way. Black TV the way it should be. Black music, black history, and more. 30 plus channels, thousands of shows. Black on Purpose Television Network, subscribe now. Gain knowledge in minutes from insightful summaries of progressive and socially conscious books. Blacklisted gives you access to curated content that'll satisfy your curiosity to learn and understand different perspectives. Empower yourself through inspirational and actionable ideas. It's easy to read or listen to on the go. Blacklisted. Empower yourself. Start your free trial today. We all know the cannabis industry is headed toward an uprise in the past decade. What happens when there is a brand that brings this uprise in a blow? The cannabis industry welcomes her uprise. Hustle Her Hemp. Delivering excellence with pride is her watchword, and how you choose to embrace it makes it a priority. From cultivating rich cannabis into exquisite and tastefully finished CBD products to delivery, Hustle Her Hemp leaves no stone unturned. 
Hustle Her Hemp's mission is to empower women of color by building business and creating legacies, uniting beauty, health, and business. We are a pure definition of how we want the CBD industry to become in the future. While we are redefining innovation, we bring the same energy to improving the quality of life. Hustle Her Hemp is the new Uprise. Hi, I'm Joel Wilson, President and CEO of JCW Computer Consulting LLC, a technology implementation firm with over 20 years of satisfying customers. We offer a full spectrum of industry top-tier branded services. We are an authorized partner or reseller for Lenovo, Zoom, T-Mobile, Microsoft 365 and Surface tablets, Google Workspace, Acer, Asus, Samsung, PCmatic security software, and many more. Our online store features laptops, Chromebooks, computers, printers, accessories, and software. Businesses, take advantage of our free one-hour Zoom tech consultation and know we offer top nationwide high-speed internet service providers, voice over IP, and cellular phone services. Home users, don't miss our current in-stock Chromebook inventory. Please visit us at jcwcc.com or call 215-879-6701.